Welcome to 5 Start Weekly, a new DP, two match reviews, and a preview of the game on Sunday. We get into all that and more coming up. Welcome to the show, 5 Start Fam. I'm AJ, and this is Mark. And wherever it is you get your pods, subscribe, share, and leave us a good rating. This segment is sponsored by Thinking Man Tavern, a cozy Decatur neighborhood pub. Grab a tasty beverage from a wide variety of selections and a plate of something delicious from the menu. To go, check out Thinking Man Tavern. Follow our Twitch for watch-alongs on match days on twitch.tv slash ATLUTDFanTV. We've got a ton to get through, so let's get started. Okay, unfortunately, it starts with the Inter-Miami match where we lost 2-1 on Saturday. And an unfortunate as well for us, I think mostly, uh, Breck Shea gets the winner against us. Very annoying to some degrees, for sure, yeah. as he didn't score for us, but he scores against us for them. But uh, yeah, we'll very quickly get through this because many of us probably do not want to revisit this very much. As uh, yeah, we played Inter Miami a lot, and we will play them one more time in 2020. But uh, yeah, in terms of the starting lineup, uh, Goose, Bello, Robinson, Walks, Escobar, uh, Remetti, Larry, Hosetu, Gallagher, John, and Mulraney. And uh, yeah, Gallagher on the left. Uh, yeah, that was definitely I think something uh, of a refreshing sight for sure. As uh, you know, he scored our goal, but uh, you know it, it is one of those games where um, you know very frustrating to many degrees. Uh, Miami dominate a good portion of uh, some of the proceedings as well. They look uh, you know more able to find the back of the net a lot of times, um, and I mean you know. When we only muster eight shots throughout the entire match, not very good. But, uh, you know, uh, kind of going through, uh, yeah, I mean, on our goal, at, at the very least, uh, John Gallagher, he scored his first MLS goal, and it was assisted by George Bello for his very first assist uh, in 2020. And, uh, I mean, we unfortunately, yeah, we give up a goal in the within the first minutes of the game again, and it's just uh, kind of rearing its ugly head. Very just deja vu type of match, uh, where I mean, it seems like Diego Alonso uh, pretty much has us scouted to the T. Like he knows how to play against us. He's played against us with Monterey, so there's a confidence with uh, playing against us, even though they're they were. Uh, languishing, at least at the time, in uh, last place in the Eastern Conference. And so, right. you know, plus that, you have uh, LGP, who very intimately knows us as well. Uh, you have, sure. you know, you have players that, that you know, have, uh, have inside knowledge, pretty much, on how we play and how we, uh, you know, right. some of the players are uh, weaknesses, you know, where they can exploit. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like it's very much that type of match where, you know, they uh, they find exactly where uh, the spaces are to uh, to really attack us. But uh, you know, I think throughout this match, it's uh, it's just you know, it's the frustration that we uh, are currently feeling for uh, you know this kind of pretty bad stretch. Uh, you know, one win in ten. Uh, you know, you just have players that are not, uh, you know, able to find the back of the net. You don't know where goals are going to come from on any given night. You don't right. have your talisman on the, the pitch. And it's also our first match ever for LA United without a DP on the pitch. So it's difficulties mm -hmm. all around. But, uh, you know, you have any thoughts, yeah. Mark, on, uh, on this match on a whole and general, general, uh, you know, well, review of it. Yeah, I, well, I'll touch on the last point you made, which is uh, that was our first match without a DP. And when you think of like uh, the type of players that are usually in Atlanta United's lineup, or and uh, you know how Atlanta United have been known to play, um, those designated players have been pretty important. And so it just, I think, it shows 
kind of where Atlanta is right now in terms of maybe not rock bottom, but certainly a low point for the franchise. Um, yeah, you know, it's uh, these matches that Inter and uh, United have played, they had there hasn't been too much in it, you know, they've been close. Um, and Miami have found the edge, I guess, in two of three now. And so I do think to a degree it is Diego Alonso. I think his style of management in particular is pragmatic. You know, he depends on his difference makers. And um, Pizarro, again, is popping up with the with the decisive assist, you know. And so um, Breck Shea scoring, you know, uh, I do. Th- he, he It seems like he's uh, been playing more left wing for Miami, which, like, if you look at the profile of his career, that actually makes sense. Like, he's in general, like, a left-sided player um you know he's he's decent I, I i never thought he was bad you know i think you and i agree on this i never thought he was like terrible for la united maybe he had to get used to playing left back but yeah, um, played out of position left wing right. back left back right. uh instructions maybe were different uh for sure. him as well he had to uh, you know play as frank de boer wanted him and mm-hmm. that was a little bit more backwards horizontally sometimes right and so but i mean i think you know it may be a case where miami is just a good fit for him so uh, yeah that's really you know it's just it's tough seeing the scene i think the disparity in shots is the big thing especially when you're at home and uh, a point that i've seen joe patrick make is that these teams have to travel and play on the same day and so you would think that miami's at a disadvantage um having to travel to atlanta and then play but you know, it's a short flight. Of, it shouldn't really matter, you know. It's a, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's like yes an hour no. and a I half mean, flight. Yeah, <laughs> you know, but it's extra. You know, it's extra. Like yeah. I know, like getting off the plane and all that. I know it's yeah. not like super taxing, but yeah. I wouldn't want to do that on the same day as playing. You know what I mean? Especially when there's like you. a couple hours from like maybe traveling to the airport, I guess, or I go. I guess they go straight to the stadium, probably. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe there's something in that, but uh, yeah. yeah, that's that's basically that's basically my thoughts. I mean, like it's mm-hmm. we just didn't have enough quality on the field, and I think at the end it showed. Yeah, and uh, you know, in terms of uh, the you know the talk afterwards, talking about not having a designated player, uh, Stephen Glass, he talked about how uh, he said, "quote." You have to try and control the things that you can. Obviously, we were a threat with the pace that we had. Uh, we didn't have any of the DPS, obviously, but I think it's the first time in our club history we've gone that uh, we've done that in a game. It puts you in a battle against a team that has top players. In terms of the work rate, I can't fault the guys. There are certain situations that could have been prevented with a little bit more know-how. That's something you do uh, get from the top guys. Balancing the playing field is about work rate and doing the things you can control well, doing it every single time. It's difficult when you don't play with DPs. Uh, Jeff Lorenowitz uh, kind of spoke a little bit more about it, but kind of been uh, kind of you know brushing it off and saying that it's not really an issue. Uh, he said, pretty much, uh, he said, I don't think that anyone stops and says, oh, shucks, we don't have a DP tonight. Everyone stands up and everyone's got to play. And for the most part, attacking-wise, which is where our DPs are, I thought we were all right. We created chances, had a really good opportunity to bring the game level. And so, yeah, that, it's some good points there in that, um, you know, the game state could have been different if, uh, you know, they had found that equalizer. Stephen Glass did say that they he felt like they could push on to get the winner. Uh, but I think the difficulty is absolutely right now is, you know, who's going to, like I said, who's going to put the ball in the back of the net. And, right. you know, when you have that, uh, that huge hurdle at the moment, you know, finding that second goal is a really mystery and, uh, something that we have to, you know, we have to find, we have to, we have to, uh, you know, identify which players can, you know, if they're in front of goal, can uh, you know help us uh, win games? Because yeah, yeah, go ahead. And it really, it it really doesn't help when we concede early. You know what I mean? Like right. getting ripped apart like they did in the second minute, leading to the first goal like that. So you know, I think there has to be adjustments all around. Exactly. It's it's where um, you know, well, we saw some adjustments in the next match against FC Dallas, but yeah, right. the uh, you know set piece defending the. Um, you know, just dead ball situations and the the ball over the top. It's been an Achilles heel, like I've said, uh, throughout the past month. Uh, it's something that we need to rectify. And it seems like 
you know, possibly they did. And so let's get on to the FC Dallas match where we fared a lot better in terms of at least results. Uh, and I think entertainment-wise, it definitely looked a lot better as well in terms of the attacking and pressing. We were pressing high. It was frenetic. And, you know, at least our front line was, you know, starting up top, it was a mystery for, uh, or kind of a surprise, rather, uh, for a lot of people. Uh, I, I kind of tooted my horn, because who else is going to toot my horn if uh, if I don't, I guess. Uh, <laughs> if, uh, you know, but basically in the match preview, I pretty much predicted John Gallagher to start up top. And uh, because he had done so in his collegiate career, as well as at LA United 2, uh, I feel like it was something that, you know, he showed that he had, uh, you know, efficiency in front of goal. And so, you know, I think uh, in this match where he started up top and where the, the graphic from the team as well on Twitter uh, was like super heartening, super just, uh, I think, poignant with the, you know, kick childhood cancer thing. But with uh, mm -hmm. the kids pretty much announcing and uh, saying each player's name. But uh, yeah, first up was, uh, you know, John, John Gallagher. And a lot of people, I think, questioned, were we playing strikerless tonight? I mean, obviously, most people had only seen him as a winger or even known him to be more of a defender. So, right. you know, it was definitely a surprise. Uh, but uh, our lineup was Guzan, Bello, Robinson, Mesa returned to the lineup, Escobar, uh, Larry also persisted, Busetu. Uh, Moraney also persisted as well. Oh, Hyman as well in midfield. Uh, and Brooks Lennon on the right with uh, Gallagher up top. And so it was uh, definitely, yeah, you, you, uh, you had the absence of Anton Wonks, which I think, you know, it's uh, he's been playing well for a solid, but I think when you have the experience of a Fernando Mesa, it allows us to, uh, you know, place our defenders probably in a little bit more of the right positions throughout a match because he can kind of right. guide them, talk to them. And that was something that I think that uh, they talked about uh, not only in a closed-door meeting between uh, the players, hashing out uh, any of the, the things that they had against each other, but also what they uh, wanted to see from each other. And, um, you know, a big part of that, I think, is having experience on the pitch. And so Larry, Mesa... And Guzan, of course, that, you know, adds a little bit more experience onto the pitch to uh, help talk to each other throughout a match, which I think is vastly important. But, uh, yeah. you know, going through, like, just the stats alone uh, from the match, I mean, we dominated a few facets that I think uh, are pretty important in terms of shots, 12 to 6, uh, shots on target, 5 to 1, uh, clearances, 26 to 17. Uh, yeah, we didn't win the possession battle, but I think it wasn't very important for us. Uh, you know, we did, I think, lose possession kind of cheaply at times, but I think we did well to try to win it back very quickly. We played, like I said, frenetic. Uh, you know, the I think the intensity was just very, very high uh, from minute one to, you know, uh, I think the until halftime yeah and the second half kind of tapered off a little bit but we did still i think uh you know we stayed resolute but what were your thoughts on the match i mean i think the thing that jumped out to me is the one shot on target you know and so like one of the things i just mentioned is conceding early is you know kind of a death knell but uh in this case they resisted and i mean they played well overall you know i think they probably had uh the majority of the chances um i think uh, I think the approach, you can see a little bit of difference in the approach in that there was um, more pressing, more, uh, I guess, uh, more intensity in the duels and uh, less worry about possession. I mean, like Dallas didn't put, dominate possessions 52-48. They basically split it. But, uh, I mean, like one of the points that I've always made about Atlanta, even you can go back to like the early days of me on fan camps, it's about, you know, us having possession and not necessarily needing the majority of the ball. I mean, I think like when, certainly when you're a top team with top players, like that's how teams play you. They're going to concede possession and you kind of have to do it. But, uh, you know, I think this is an opportunity for Atlanta to um, kind of get back to that 
that counterattacking style, you know, uh, pr you know, maybe a little bit more presser pressure, uh, maybe a sort of Red Bulls approach to it. Maybe not obviously not completely, but um, yeah, I mean, like I think it starts it starts with the clean sheet. This victory starts with the clean sheet. You know, I think the handball maybe is a little bit lucky. Maybe it's a little bit harsh. A I don't know. Fortuitous, um, yeah, possibly. Yeah, right. Right, but uh, you know, you get that opportunity, and uh, Larry steps up and is clinical. Um, but yeah, I think just a really disciplined performance uh, for ninety minutes is, is I think what stands out to me. And uh, we've been needed that badly. You know, like you gotta, in terms of turning it around, you gotta start somewhere. That's be some sort of building block. And so hopefully this is it. I'm not going to make any predictions on that, but uh, <laughs> hopefully this is the start of better form. Yeah, definitely. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think it started with the, uh, you know, that intensity up top that we got from John Gallagher, who, uh, like Chris uh, mentioned in the fan cams, he was a menace all night. Uh, he really made life difficult for the Dallas back line. He, uh, harried them. He uh, kind of single-handedly held it up and uh, really ran at the defense uh, on the Mulraney chance uh, that he, you know, uh, I believe the goalkeeper just, you know, parries it out. But it was, a, I think, you know, fashion's a pretty good chance just from a long ball from the defense. Uh, but let's get back to the, uh, you know, the VAR ruling and how we finally... You know, uh, kind of get fortuitous and get a, a call going our way, uh, in a sense. I mean, and then, you know, having, you know, a penalty called for us, I think, what, is the, the second time in, uh, maybe not the second time, but, like, second time in two uh, or three games. And so, you know, it is one of those where, you know, finally, maybe some things are kicking our way. We get a little bit of luck um, because... Did it actually hit his arm? I mean, it might be a shoulder. Uh, we'll take it. Either way, <laughs> we need some breaks. Right. And I think yeah. you saw, you know, the, uh, you know, with Captain Larry, he's, uh, I think, didn't want to mess about. He was like, I'm taking it. Uh, there's no, no one else that, uh, you know, will, uh, you know, will challenge me for this. I'm the captain. You know, uh, he's and he, and he took it a plump. He was, uh, you know, he did. Uh, I think what the uh, the captain should do as well during this match and just you know take the stranglehold of the match and and make sure that uh, you know the the person that should be taking the penalty is taking the penalty. Um, but uh, I think also what's huge about this match is you know both teams started without DPS and so you know. Us, like DP list, uh, going against their DP list team, we actually fared a little bit better. And uh, I mean, it obviously would have been uh, a lot different of a match if they had, uh, the, you know, their attackers on the pitch that were DPs. And uh, yeah, they came on later on, but it was too little, too late. I think we already had, uh, you know, what we wanted to do in the match uh, down. We, you know, parked it a little bit later on in the second half, but. Uh, we were resolute, and I think that's what we needed to do. We needed to uh, build that confidence, you know, get that clean sheet, and you know, that we did. It was uh, not maybe the prettiest performance in terms of uh, aesthetic, in terms of you know, putting the ball in the back of the net through the run of play, but it is you know something that where we were clinical when we needed to be. So, mm -hmm. but you saw. I mean, and they passed nice good chances as well. Yeah, we did. Yeah. I mean, and Mulraney, I think, stood out to me as a guy that, uh, you know, this was one of his, uh, I think, probably best match uh, for Atlanta United. Uh, he had four chances, I believe, on the Knights. And, yeah, he got maybe a little unlucky not to score. Uh, Franco Escobar also, I think, uh, yeah, I mean, not only playing right back, but also center back, but also not getting a yellow card. It's, I think, huge. He's... Uh, you know, he definitely is showing a little bit of the leadership that Stephen Glass was talking about later on after the match, uh, saying that we needed to see that type of thing from him. Uh, you know, he's been with us uh, for a little bit of time now, and he can kick on to, you know, be more of a leader on this team. Uh, and maybe, you know, maybe some players kind of need that. 
you know, we, we need that little bit of a responsibility uh, in order for them to kind of mature. And, you know, he definitely wasn't, you know, he, he might not have maybe turned a page quite yet, but it was definitely an improvement for sure. But, yeah, <laughs> yeah and, in, and in terms of, uh, you know, not playing with the DP on the pitch for the second time uh, in a row, uh, this was definitely, I think, you know, something that I think they wanted to do, uh, you know, really harry the other team and, uh, you know, force errors from them instead of us trying to dictate the match, uh, you know, completely. And, uh, you know, just be more direct, play with more verticality. It was, yeah, definitely a lot more fun to watch this match. But uh, definitely hope to see uh, some more, you know, some more uh, efficiency in front of goal. Uh, try to score from the run of play. I think still very important things. We can't just rely on uh, a little bit of luck and set pieces right. to score. So, right. but um, yeah, any final thoughts on this match? Um, no, not not anything that you didn't touch on. You know, I thought uh, yeah, Escobar's performance was definitely important. Um, you know, Miles taken off of halftime. Seems precautionary. Hopefully, you know, it's not he didn't reaggravate anything or anything like that. Um, but John got another. 45 minutes and with uh well i guess we'll, we'll get into the news in a little bit but with torres out possibly long term um you know it's he should have a run in the side i do like that front three though i think that front three should start again um because i think that's an approach that uh that they can build on so mm -hmm. like i said hopefully it's a building block for better days right because yeah the uh you know Mulraney, uh gallagher and lennon is definitely that's pacey Definitely pacey indeed, uh, and you know there's some uh, good crosses in between there from Lennon and Mulraney as well. Right. Uh, there's some interchanging. It's uh, it's something that's you know kind of promising, and I think uh, you know then you add on a John at the end of the match to uh, you know maybe help in the air. You know there's uh, some uh, some I think some strategy that we can uh, we can move forward with for sure. But uh, some notes from this match, just to uh, before we wrap it up. Uh, Larry, he has now scored or assisted in three straight matches. He's stepping up. He's uh, you know showing his veteran presence for sure, and uh, you know hopefully hopefully it does continue. But uh, I mean it's it's really it's you know coming from just it's a wild card uh, any night who's going to score right now, and uh, right now Larry's. You know, making the case for striker. I'm, I'm, I'm joking, but yeah, uh, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> he has a decent goal record. He just has mostly yeah. not for striker. <laughs> exactly, but uh, but anyway. So, uh, getting into uh, post match quotes uh, very quickly. Um, kind of what uh, you know the coach and the players were speaking about after the match. Uh, Stephen Glass. He talked about the team pressing high. And maintaining that over the next stretch of games, uh, he said, "I believe we can. It's obviously demanding. Now you have to maybe be a little bit more clever in picking the right moments on when to press or when to decide to leave it, and to stay in your shape and trust that shape. There are times in games where it might appear a little disjointed, but that's because we are trying to change something here. The physical demands we've had to uh, alter uh, the way we trained, but we've tried to change the mindset of the group to make them believe they can play like that and win like that." The club, when it's been at its best, has played like that. So it's important that we are trying to continue that trend and push the group towards that. It's going to be a long season, and so I think we can do it uh, to win enough games to where we want it to be. So you know that that definitely is something that uh, you know strategy-wise and tactics-wise, um, you know that has been effective for us in the past. And so uh, you know getting back to high-pressing, uh, energetic football. Definitely, I think, you know, has many more fans buying in as the uh, the style that we want. And it, yeah, it does take time. It does, uh, you know, also take a lot of fitness. And so we might not see that every single match going forward. But yes, hopefully they can pick those moments. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, you know, pretty much all the other uh, the quotes we kind of already kind of spoke about a little bit uh, throughout the review so let's wrap a bow on both of those babies and get into the news 
And big news this week. Uh, unfortunately, I wasn't able to do a transfer daily for you guys, but uh, I think the previous transfer daily kind of had much of the same information except for these bits. In that Marcelino Moreno is officially our new DP. Uh, he will be taking up an international spot uh, and the designated player spot, of course, from PT Martinez, who has gone on to Al Nasser. Uh, but reports from South America have rumored that the transfer fee is around seven million, and that uh, the player signed a five-year contract. Uh, and Lanus will apparently retain 10% of his sell-on rights if uh, Atlanta United moves him in the future. He is a 25-year-old uh, technical director, Carlos Bocanegra. He spoke about uh, how, yeah, they're still sorting out his visa appointment. And it will be followed by a 10-day quarantine and that they hope to get him up and running in two to three weeks. Uh, but they do believe that Moreno has a good base of fitness already. Although... He last played, I believe, in March, so it is a while since he has played. So I think we should preach some confidence, or confidence, patience. Uh, in the meantime, because yeah, I mean, I think you saw and see with the injuries to Jurgen Dom and Kubo Torres, yeah, you know, you have uh, kind of fitness uh, issues where these players need to be bedded in slower, because you know most yeah. of these players. Uh, they're used to maybe two, two and a half months of a layoff, not six months or five months. You know, it's just, it's an enormous amount of time where, you know, to not play football. It's just, uh, you know, usually you need a little bit more time to just get back into the swing of things. So, but, uh, right. I mean, that's the whole point of preseason. You know, like you yeah. have the gradual build up in fitness to the season, but these players aren't getting a preseason. So indeed, indeed. But, um, yeah, so in terms of, uh, you know, what Bocanegger said on the type of player that Moreno is, he said that uh, Marce Marcelino is a player that we've seen a few years back on one of the trips to Argentina, and we've been following him ever since. He's a dynamic attacking midfielder who has proven to be a consistent performer in the Argentine Superliga. He has fantastic balance and a change of direction ability and is a player who can create on his own or bring others into the game. And, uh, yeah, you know, we've talked about how you can play in central midfield or on the wings. Playmaker who can beat you on the dribble. I mean, he uh, completes 4.1 dribbles per match on average, which is, I think, I think two better than the, the next person at LA United right now. So, uh, you know, if you get him in tight spaces, he can dribble you out of them. That's a, a very good thing. Uh, he can play a key ball, can shoot from distance, uh, and has strong defensive uh, work rate and uh, you know contribution. So it's uh, it's something that I think uh, you know it's something we need not only from kind of an attacking midfielder position, but if he does you know possibly need to drop back a little bit further into maybe an, a number eight position, uh, he could be I think yeah very versatile in this uh, you know in this squad as well. But uh, Bocanegra did talk about how he'll probably wear number 10. Uh, it'll come with uh, pretty heavy expectations, of course, with Miggy and Piti Martinez uh, you know, previously wearing it. But Boca did say that it's because not a, a ton of numbers are available. So, you know, him likely wearing that number 10. I mean, do you feel like there will be added pressure? I mean, the... Yeah, the social media from uh, LA United, in terms of uh, one of the things that they posted, pretty much compared him to Miggy from the off because of uh, Club La uh you know, social media posts as well. Uh, pretty much saying that, you know, they will, uh, you know, uh, in terms of the players that uh, La Nuce have given LA United, and the other one in Miggy, of course, uh, there's been a good track record, but... Uh, did that bother you at all? The, uh, the you know, kind of mini comparison. It wasn't, I think, you know, ill-meaning yeah. or trying to put lofty expectations, but it definitely may be <laughs> ill-advised, per se. Right, because I don't want to, like, it's obvious that they're just talking about where they come from, right? Like, like yeah. if you took their, I guess, post at face value, that's what it is. But, um... At the same time, I don't, you know, I didn't necessarily think it was necessary, you know, like the, you see the side by side and people, I guess, draw their own conclusions. I don't know. It 
it didn't bother me personally but at the same time i was like why are you doing that <laughs> like, yeah what, is, what what ultimately <laughs> is the point here <laughs> it's very true uh yeah. yeah for me it was just like you know just let's uh let's just try to give our uh our new players a kind of clean slate you know don't bring in the comparisons to previous players and uh just kind of let them be their own person player uh but i understand i mean a lot of a lot of people prefer that type of uh way to kind of evaluate the type of talent that's coming in you know it's the best way for them to be able to know oh like what position are they replacing on the pitch but you know there's the, every player is different it's really not uh not fair to them to be uh compared uh very heavily and say that oh maybe they're uh me light in this direction but also uh you know nagby uh in this direction and it's just yeah right. it's uh it's just too much i feel like a lot of times but yeah uh, i mean i am optimistic like based on yeah. what his uh his profile you know what i mean right. like if he is what what we think he is i think that he'll add dynamism um and if he's gonna track back as well that'll it'll make him a really useful player in the lineup and you know, then like it'll hopefully he can be kind of a building block that we can build the midfield around. I mean, like we, the Ali and I have obviously been scouting central midfielders. They almost supposedly almost signed Jonathan Gonzalez, so mm -hmm. um, it seems like a good move. You know, I, I am excited to see him. I hope, like you said, they better him slowly enough. Um, so like I know he won't play a lot right away, and that's fine. But I would, you know, by the end of the season, I would like to see him get a chance to make an impact on the team. Right. And so it's also, um, you know, a lot of a lot of people are saying that uh, because we don't have a manager or a head coach already in, uh, bringing a DP might be foolish. Like, where 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 are you, uh, you know, on that thought process? I think, uh, I mean, if you really look at how clubs operate, especially in the modern game, if you want to call it that, um, teams definitely scout players like you know with or without the manager teams themselves have their own scouting departments and um you know they you especially with the technical directors in place uh they are willing to take a chance on a player that they feel like can be good for the team and i think that it can help you in your search for a manager being able to say look this is our talent you know this is the roster we have to work with because a lot of coaches i think uh would prefer to focus on the coaching as long as they're getting good players you know so i think there has to be even with the manager in place there has to be trust that the club knows what they're doing and so i just think that you know managers come and go so you can't always depend on a manager to steer you in the right direction or to uh i guess make signings for you you know like i think you have to be able to operate as a club and as long as he's good, I don't see how that, you know, him, his presence would be a hindrance for a manager coming in or even somebody like Hosetsu. I think Hosetsu has promised. I, I, you know, would find it strange if a manager uh, identified him and said, uh, you know, I can't work with this player at all unless, of course, he sees something else in training that we're not seeing. So I don't know. I mean, I'm okay with it. Like, you need talent. You, you, it's, it's really hard to win in this league without designated players as well. So you, you need talent. Right. And uh, yeah, while he may not maybe necessarily help a ton uh, for the you know rest of this regular season as, you know, him coming in two to three weeks, it may uh, be where he can maybe only contribute maybe what, five games, maybe less. I'm not sure. But, uh, you know, it could be where uh, I think, you know, betting him in, it allows him to get acclimated earlier and then, you know, really shoot for 2021. But if he can really kick on and help us, you know, we might be able to make a push. And, uh, you know, you never know what could happen. But uh, for me, like, seeing from that standpoint of, like, you know, wanting a head coach already in, I mean, you know, our setup is definitely more modern in a way because we have a technical director. We have uh, Darren Eels also maybe putting a little bit of, uh, you know, some of that groundwork in for some of these new players as well. Uh, but also, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, Tata Martino, I think, definitely had a lot more say than maybe Frank DeBoer had in sure. terms of bringing in players. But, uh, you know, you kind of see that, you know, it's somewhat effective at times, uh, say, if you have, you know, kind of a maybe Arsene Wenger at Arsenal model where, you know, it's the he's like the manager and he's got... Uh, you know, more of the final say and, you know, 
he's kind of head of all the departments in, in that sense. But, you know, I think any coach that's going to be coming in, they're, they know that they, yeah, will be concentrating on coaching the players. And, you know, I think with a player like Moreno, who if he works hard on both sides of the ball, you know, he will fit in any system. It's one of those things where, you know, hardworking players like that, uh, you know, they can integrate a lot easier than, say, maybe more of a luxury player like P.T. Martinez. That's kind of, uh, you know, you know, the kind of the issues maybe you see with Mesut Ozil with uh, Arsenal right now. Like very similar type of uh, issues where, you know, maybe they're not working as hard on the other side of the ball. Uh, and, you know, it's kind of uh, in terms of the game is moving more towards... Uh, where the the modern game, everyone has to be able to you know work hard on both sides, and so uh, I think Moreno is uh, in terms of his qualities, maybe not his end product per se, as that's maybe still developing. Uh, I think is a good get, but you guys can let us know what you think of Moreno and what your expectations are, uh, you know, in the comments below. But uh, let's move on to uh, the unfortunate. Injury that uh, also Bocanegra uh, announced pretty much during that same press conference. Uh, he dropped the news that Kubo Torres is likely out for the rest of the season with a knee sprain. Uh, yes, he you know may or may not be able to come back uh, before the season is over. But you know, having a, you know a player that he just brought in and then just get injured and like that, he won't be able to play for most of the season. Definitely hurts for sure. Uh, he said that the team has not dealt with the stop-start of the season uh, very well, and it's just uh, something that we have to deal with. I mean, you know, we've had terrible luck with injuries this season, for sure. But um, he also talk, talked about the, uh, the search for a permanent coach. He said it's going positively, and they have narrowed down the candidates in their coaching search, and he couldn't reveal a timeline at this time. He said, quote, this is something we want to get right, so we're making sure we do our due diligence and make sure we get the right hire as this is important for us. So, yeah, definitely stay tuned for head coach rumors coming soon for sure. But, I mean, definitely harkens back to, you know, what you've been saying is that, you know, uh, some people might argue that it wasn't rushed. But, I mean, you know, and that maybe Tata uh, wasn't going to stay anyway, but it still is... I think apparent that um, you know maybe they didn't do the diligence in making sure that he was an absolute fit in terms of Frank DeBoer. So yeah, but, uh, I mean yeah, all five points. I mean like because it just seems to be a theme. You know, keep repeating, we're taking our time, we're taking our time. So hopefully they get it right. Exactly. Uh, and so uh, moving on from that, uh, well, also one more thought on that uh, in. Felipe Cardenas's uh, athletic article about uh, the coaching rumors and all that, uh, the search, he pretty much has uh, said that we're probably not going to get a new head coach in 2020. Uh, probably, you know, in terms of the new person that uh, is going to come in, it's probably for 2021. So very interesting indeed if that is uh, actually the truth. But uh, yeah, of course, we shall see. But uh, moving on to some uh, new fixtures that have been announced. Uh, yeah, there are 11 more games slated now, and it will be kind of the same pattern uh, until November 8th on Decision Day. But it will be the Wednesday, Saturday, or Sunday type of uh, you know fixture uh, congestion that we've been dealing with. But we will face a struggling DC United. We will face Miami for the fourth time, Cincinnati for the fourth time, Red Bulls, Toronto, uh, Orlando two more times, and we will finish with Columbus on Decision Day uh, on November eighth. So it's definitely uh, it's not it's not super difficult, I would say, but it is there are some very difficult matches and also some teams that we just are sick of seeing for sure. I mean, you know, but what do you think? Uh, what do you think of, you know, the rest of the matches and the difficulty possibly? Yeah, I agree. I don't think it's that difficult. I mean, like, because there are certain teams that jump off the page in terms of they're struggling. Like, DC is dead last, and obviously it's a reunion with Russell. We'll see how that goes. Um, Red Bulls have one more win 
still three more points than Atlanta, but you know they let go Armis this year as well. So you know they're almost in a similar situation. Um, you know we'll talk about Chicago in a bit, but they're below us right now in the standings. Really, I think the hardest games it seems like the left are the two Orlando matches. And um, I guess the Toronto match probably is going to be difficult since he's the. I mean, like all. I think they're also, you know, on for Atlanta United's part. Like you have to realize that all these matches are going to be difficult one way or another because mm-hmm. just that's just where the team is right now. So um, right. obviously, some opponents are going to have a little more quality. Are going to be a little bit better, but um, yeah, I think it's not the worst. It's not the easiest. It's. I think it's a fair schedule. Right. Uh, I mean, in terms of uh, currently, uh, most of these teams are currently placed eighth or lower in the Eastern Conference, and none are currently averaging more than 1.17 points per game uh, in terms of 14 of these matches. Uh, So it would be very interesting. I think, uh, you know, uh, well, okay, read that stat a little bit differently uh, than it should have been. It's 14 of our matches so far in the, our 23 games this season uh, have come against teams 8th or lower in the Eastern Conference. But, uh, you know, I think this, this really, it's a it's a good opportunity to make up some points if we can find the back of the net. I think that's the biggest issue uh, for us getting points in each of these matches for sure. But uh, let's move on to Franco Escobar, and he's been speaking to the the media recently a lot and uh, really trying to, I think, galvanize not only the fan base, but the team as well. Uh, according to Joe Patrick on Twitter, uh, Franco Escobar, he gave a passionate defense of the club in a really honest moment, said Atlanta is special as a special place for him and the club will always be in his heart after you won titles and has grown as a professional here. It's why it's such a frustrating time right now. And, of course, he had uh, spoke last week about how, you know, if you don't support us uh, when we're down, you know, we don't need you. Uh, it definitely uh, spurred some some interesting social media posts as well. Uh, also, including LA United, where they dropped the word true 17s. And that's been a thing of contention recently. <laughs> but uh, I think, you know... Mostly what they meant, at least the way I interpreted it, is, you know, the true 17s. Uh, I think it's, you know, any any one of you or I that's, you know, stick with the team and still follow the team and are still planning to go to the games, it's those people that are threatening to uh, not go to games or uh, for frivolous reasons or because the, the team is in a downturn. Um, you know, they're just like, you know, I'm just not going to follow this team anymore. Uh, you know, F Atlanta United or whatever her, they, uh, they're saying. And it's one of those things where, you know, I don't think most of the fans should take offense to it. But what's your take on it? Um, I don't know if the timing's great. I mean, like, I guess I, they're clearly, uh, I guess, kind of piggybacking off of Escobar's statement. And I felt like Escobar's, even the tweet itself, but the interview, it was, it felt, you know, genuine, it felt raw, felt real. I think, like, most, especially after the interview, like, most fans definitely understood where Escobar was coming from, you know. I think, in terms of those of us who consider ourselves real 17s or whatever, um, I think we, you know, we, we do consider Escobar like, uh, a true Elaine player, truly, you know, somebody who cares, truly somebody who's seen the highs and the lows of the team. Um, but I thought the team from the the from the team count, I thought that tweet was, meh. you know, it's just like I, I don't know, it, it just like I said, it, it felt a little more forced, I guess, mm. you know, whereas Escort came off as a little more. Real, like even if they were making appeal to uh, the fans who still follow, or whatever you know, it's like mm-hmm. fans are frustrated right now. That's just yeah, yeah, it's and I think they have every right to be. So yeah, um, in terms of what it caused off her, I just thought that was funny. <laughs> it's <laughs> so, some ridiculousness for sure, and yeah, uh, yeah. some uh, you know people that are questioning their own fandom or. Some people that are just trolling—it's just ridiculousness right. that 
uh, you know, it'll, hopefully it will, uh, you know, blow over soon because it's just talking about that is just, uh, it's like, I, I could be, I couldn't be more over it really, but, uh, I feel like we do need to address it. And so address it. We have, but, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, so anyway, moving on from that, uh, Joseph Martinez, he's, uh, seemingly doing some more kind of, uh, almost longer form running. Uh, he has a GPS vest on in one of the photos that he posted recently on social media. And so, yeah, slowly but surely, he is getting there. Uh, now, congratulations to new boy Eric Lopez in making the preliminary squad for Paraguay. Uh, these are the players outside of Paraguay uh, in terms of the Paraguayan leagues. Uh, and he has made that preliminary squad for the matches against Peru and Venezuela in October. Whether he actually goes or not is a whole different thing. Uh, I mean, he might go because he's not really playing, uh, you know, and he's kind of in limbo for Atlanta United. So why not get some fitness and, you know, show what you can do if he actually truly is picked uh, for the team at the end of the day. Uh, moving on from that, former Atlanta United head coach Frank de Boer has landed the Netherlands head coach job. And, <laughs> I mean, that's definitely, uh, I think, you know, very interesting indeed, for sure, for many people. But he will now be coaching the likes of Virgil van Dijk and Gigi Wijnaldum uh, at Netherlands. But, uh, you know, he will also be facing... Tata Martino and Mexico in his very first match on October 7th uh, in, you know, in lieu of all that. And that's very also interesting indeed. I think many 17s will be, I think, keen to watch how that goes or at least know sure. what the scoreline is. But how do you think in terms of uh, Frank de Boer, how he's gotten uh, the Netherlands job in which, I mean, many would say, yeah, sure, uh, Crystal Palace, Inter, those are more outright failures at Atlanta United. It's definitely more of a, uh, more just of a misfit. He was successful here uh, to a degree. He just, you know, was let go uh, on the back of the MLS back tournament. But uh, yeah, how do you think he's gotten, you know, the Netherlands job, which is pretty lofty in a sense because of uh, the type of talent that's on that team right now? Yeah, I think you have to think about how the job became available in the first place. Like, Coleman would have been, I mean, if everything had gone as normal, like no, no COVID or whatever, Coleman would have coached uh, Netherlands at the Euros this summer, this past summer. Obviously, it's been postponed to next season. And then Barcelona and the Madrid, I think they were in a tough spot to begin with in terms of you know, getting the team ready for Euros. Um, other than that, though, I don't know, man. Like, some people just feel upwards, I guess. Because the thing that's baffling to me is that Netherlands have some really good young talent right now, uh, like Frankie D. Young, for example. Um, and, you know, like, I don't think... I, Frank de Boer is the last person to me that should be managing that team, um, you know, even if he does get them to the Euros. Because, like you said, this is a, this is a lofty job. And, like, I don't think they've actually... I know they haven't won the World Cup. I don't think they've won a Euros yet either. But they're a team who, like, expect to be among the finalists, at least in contention to win it, you know? So, I don't know. It's, I mean, it's a strange hire from my perspective. Um, I, I do wonder how Dutch fans feel about it, though. Yeah, I don't think it's been received terribly well. But, uh, I right. mean, to be, to be fair to uh, Frank de Boer, he... Uh, you know, I think is not only a Netherlands legend in terms of he was ca a captain of their side as well. Uh, you know, he has coached them before as well. But uh, it is also, you know, where, uh, you know, Frank de Boer, I think what needs to be also acknowledged here is that, you know, he's, he's a white dude. He's a white dude that, uh, you know, I think, let's be frank here. There are more chances given to Caucasian people. It's just the fact. And I think, uh, you know, the fact that you didn't really hear anybody else being considered really per se. You didn't really, you know, it's it's just one of those things where, you know, Frank DeBoer pretty much is given a long leash because he is 
uh, a Netherlands legend. But there are other other players that maybe should have even been given a look if they you know want to be a, a coach or not, like an Edgar Davids or some someone like that, where you know more. More diversity at least should have been considered before the uh, job was given to DeBoer. But, you know, we'll see how he does. But, uh, you know, it's uh, definitely going to be interesting on October 7th, to say the least. So, let's get into Atlanta United 2 and the 2's one and 8 goal thriller on Wednesday night. Pretty much we got 6 points uh, in terms of Atlanta. Uh, on the night, but they defeated the New York Red Bulls 2 squad to a scoreline of 5-3. to three. Jackson Conway, Amir Bashti, Philip Goodrum, David Mejia, all on the score sheets. Conway had a brace uh, in what was the finale of the USL uh, championship season, at least at home, for the two. So, uh, you know, good to see... Conway also, uh, you know, really kind of making some waves with our uh, reserve squad. So, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, they'll kick on for their last match. And, you know, we'll see what they can, these uh, promising players can do in 2021. But uh, that does it for the news and uh, gets us to a little bit of housekeeping. Follow our Twitch on match days for uh, some match day watch alongs. It's at twitch.tv slash ATLUTDFANTP. Ooh. Anyway, uh, can't say that today for some reason. But uh, anyway, so let's get to the match review or preview, rather, uh, where we're going to be playing Chicago Fire on Sunday at Soldier Field. It'll be at 7.30. It'll be on Fox Sports Southeast and WGN-TV locally. But, yeah, Atlanta United and Chicago Fire will be looking to make it two straight wins. Uh, you know, both teams have been struggling, have been on a slide down the table, but we're both able to get wins on Wednesday. And, you know, into the, the series matchup against them, uh, we've played them five times. It's been kind of back and forth. Uh, we, of course... Uh, yeah, we're able to beat them at our, I believe it was our first, uh, home match win, uh, at oh, Bobby yeah. Dodd for sure. Right. And that was a fun match to, uh, to see for sure. But, uh, but recently it's been, uh, it was a five, one loss, uh, at Chicago last season. Uh, and then it was a two nil win, uh, at home against them. And 2-1, we won against them in 2018. We won 2-1 against them in uh, away as well. And they won 2-0 in 2017, uh, including that one I just spoke about at Bobby Dodd. And so, you know, it's been very back and forth. Uh, it seems like, you know, they can catch us at times where we're in bad form or just uh, it's a trap game. And, you know, likewise uh, as well. But... Uh, in terms of our current form, we've uh, we've lost three in a row, of course, but before that we drew two, uh, and then we won our recent one. In terms of them, they have been switching back and forth between losses and draws until their win recently, and uh, you know it's uh, in terms of the standings, you know we're we're all, we're both kind of languishing. Uh, in the, the dredges of the standings, but we're uh, we're tenth, they're twelfth. Uh, our our records and goal differences are kind of similar in some respects, but uh, yeah, we're in tenth, four, uh, two, and seven in terms of win, draws, and losses. Uh, we have fourteen points. Uh, they're at three, three, and seven in terms of win, draws, and losses, uh, with twelve points, and we have a minus four and they have a minus six in goal difference i mean it's just you know finding the back of the net has been difficult uh defending has been difficult but uh they're definitely a team that you know they are able to fashion uh you know scoring chances but i think uh they're in the same boat as we are in terms of finishing scoring chances uh definitely not as adept uh both of us as uh teams in the league uh, they are a, a team that's, uh, you know, not very good in very many facets of the game, unfortunately. 
uh, aerially not as good, uh, individual errors, they are susceptible, uh, defending set pieces very much like us, not very good, and also in defending long shots, not very good as well in terms of uh, us, we've been maybe slightly better, but also Guzan has that type of, uh, you know, kind of hiccup uh, in him every once in a while in matches where he lets one in from distance and you know it gets you talking to yourself but um <laughs> it's just like how how did he how did he miss that but <laughs> uh in terms of uh you know where they like to attack as well they they like to themselves take long shots so we need to be wary of that uh they are fairly aggressive and they like to attack through the middle and uh, they're a team that does play quite high, so you know that's maybe somewhere where we can get in behind them, especially if we uh, play with a similar lineup to last match as well. But let's get into the players to watch uh, for Chicago. So uh, Robert Barich, their Slovenian forward, leads their line with four goals and one assist on the season. Fabian Herbers or Erbers. Uh, their German attacking midfielder has three goals and one assist. And Alvaro Madran, their Spanish central midfielder, has two goals. For Atlanta, I mean, Jeff Lerowitz has been a danger uh, at goal recently. And so, you know, he, uh, he's he got three goal contributions in the past three games. So he's someone that they have to look out for, for sure. Uh, George Bello has been a threat going forward and uh, defensively as well. He's been playing very, very solid for the team and really growing with each match for sure. Uh, John Gallagher, the surprise, you know, uh, forward start last match. And I think, uh, you know, he's been looking lively. He's been looking like a person that, uh, you know, can really, uh, I think, hurt other teams if he can, you know, start to find some consistency. But also, Jake Mulraney, uh, last match, had one of, I think, yeah, like I said, his best match for LA United. Uh, he had four shots on goal, and so, you know, hopefully he can continue to find more chances that could really help us. Uh, I think, you know, he'll find the, the back of the net soon, I think, if uh, he continues to, to get in those positions. But uh, you want to talk about the injuries and availability for Chicago, Mark? Yeah, sure. So uh, they have a few players out. Uh, goalkeeper Kenneth Cornholm, he was, he's out uh, for the season. Um, their midfielder, Lukas uh, Stojanovic, I believe, uh, also seems to be a long-term injury. Uh, Johan Kepelhoff has a hip flexor out with, it, out with that. Midfielder Jeremiah Gutros has a knee injury, so he's out. And uh, another midfielder, Frankowski, is out with they didn't say so but a uh, few midfielders so maybe a little bit light in that department um but uh in terms of Atlanta united barco still day-to-day we're still not sure as to whether he'll be available for this match uh Jürgen Dom did seem to train but uh you know with his hamstring and probably being cautious uh don't want to rush back from a hamstring injury especially obviously we know joseph is out uh the season with his knee and for Eric Lopez, um, until there's news that he's, uh, you know, officially a first team member and is cleared to play, he can only train right now. So, um, kind of, I've kind of commented on it. It's just kind of an unfortunate situation. Not a great look for the club. So, hopefully, they figure out something soon in terms of uh, Eric Lopez and his playing time. Right, because I'm sure he's he's got to be frustrated, and the frustration right. will grow with each day that he's just not able to help the club. But uh, let's get into the opponent's previous 11 and how they might set up uh, previously uh, against the Houston Dynamo. They set up like this. It was a 4-2-3-1. Shuttleworth between the sticks. Uh, Sekulic, Pineda, Calvo, and Bornstein uh, in the back line. Jimenez, Medran in midfield. And as their attacking midfielders, uh, Mihailovic, Ervers, Aliceda uh, as the uh, attacking midfielders and Barich up top. We've been kind of struggling to find the back of the net. They, I think, have been a little bit, uh, you know, found it a little easier than we have. And so uh, it's going to be difficult for sure uh, facing them at home. But uh, let's get into our predicted starting 11. Let's get through the lines together. Uh, Guzan, of course, 
But uh, what's your what's your back line look like, Mark? So I'm going to go with the back four. Got uh, Escobar right back, Bello left back, and my center back's got Walks and Mesa. With Miles Robinson being take off, taken off at halftime, and then you have another match in three days or four days or whatever it is, um, I think they're probably going to be cautious with him. Walks, I think, has been pretty solid, so uh, you don't lose too much there, I think. So, uh, yeah, that's going with that back four. Yeah. Uh, for me, I think uh, Robinson can, can persist, but I, yeah, I don't... I don't fault uh, if uh, if Walks does come in. I think Mesa being in there really just provides that uh, that tactical now the uh, the experience that we need in there to uh, you know to really keep that solidified. But uh, let's get into the, the midfield. Who do you got? So for the midfield, uh, three man midfield, I got Hosetu, Rometty, and Hyman. Um, that we've seen this midfield feature, that's particular three feature a lot. Um, I know Lorena has had, had a good game, but I figure, you know, with the quick turnaround, um, probably going to save his legs. Maybe he'll come on, but I think we start with Rometty and Josetu and Jaime. Yeah. I think, uh, I think we're going to start with Larry. I think you just kind of ride the hot hand a little bit and then maybe take him off in the second half at some point. Uh, but I think Rometty and Josetu are the uh, the two men flanking him as the more box to box variety? But uh, I think you know I'm excluding Heinemann because we I think maybe need to be a little bit more uh, defensive in some respects in order to make sure that we're not kind of caught out while we uh, you know I think we probably won't see as much possession in this match. I think we'll maybe try to hit them a little bit more on the counter, force some errors. Uh, you know, press them a little bit more. So uh, these are, I think, more of the variety of midfielders that can, I think, do that job. But uh, let's get into uh, the forwards. Yeah, and I think in this case, you ride the hot hand. You know, I think Lennon, Gallagher, Moraney looked really good together. You know, you talked about a little bit. It's pacey, um, you know, and then you get, you're able to get some pressing with that front three as well. And so I don't see why you don't uh, pick them again. Mm-hmm. And hopefully, yeah, they can find the back of the net. I have the the same top three as well. Uh, yeah, I think you know it was it was a dynamic that we haven't seen in a while for sure. That uh, was something that I mean I think had many fans. I think uh, like I said at the top of the show, a little bit surprised, but also when they actually watched the match, fairly entertained. And so hopefully they can uh, kick on and they can uh, really find that cutting edge in this match. Uh, especially with what we want to see from them uh, in this match. For, for me, at least, I want to see them play with more uh, verticality like they have, at least, uh, I guess, FC Dallas. Hit them on the counter quickly and efficiently, and uh, you know, hopefully we can find that back. In the and so George Bello, resolute defensively again. Uh, so, I mean, if it's a nil-no draw, I'm kind of okay with that right now. It's, uh, you know, we just kind of have to prioritize results over the aesthetic beauty per se maybe on the road but uh, and then really try to you know kind of take our chances uh, more at home but uh, I hope that we can limit their their chances like I said with playing compact and find our chances to score through the pressing and forcing errors and uh, it, this worked out the the last match where yeah Larry you know chose himself to be the uh, the penalty taker if uh, you know there's another penalty then hopefully you know there is no question again, and it will, uh, you know, won't be any uh, sort of issue in the, the game. But anything that you'd like to see the, the team do? Um, I think you pretty much hit the nail on the head with your points, especially with the being resolute defensively. You know, when we think of uh, away to Chicago, we think about that terrible five-one result. I think that uh, sticks out in terms of one of the worst results that Lane United's ever had. And so um, definitely, you know, can't let that happen again. I think that it totally makes sense to be compact and to try to hit them on the counter, especially being away from home. So, um, yeah, hopefully they can. Um, oh, I would just like to see. I think that game plan was pretty solid against Dallas. And I would like to see a repeat of that. And, you know, really see Atlanta United kind of rebuild the identity. Yeah, it would be lovely to see for sure. So let's get into the odds according to BetMGM. Atlanta United have a 25% chance to win this match, a draw at 25.6%, and Chicago have a whopping 57.3% chance to win this match. Of course, they are at home, 
So, uh, you know, it, and I think they maybe take account into previous uh, score lines as well. So, with all that being said, let's get into our score prediction. And, Mark, what do you got? Um, I'm going to say we eke out a 1-1 draw. Uh, I do think that it will be a challenge being away from home. Uh, but I have faith that uh, they can stay solid defensively again like they were able to versus Dallas. And like I agree with you that the result is the most important thing. So we take a 1-1 here, we take the point, and we go home happy. Yeah. Uh, for me, uh, I, I didn't go with the odds last match and predicted a loss, and I was very pleasantly surprised as, uh, yeah, the odds had us losing against FC Dallas. But uh, this one I can't go against. It's, it's just... There's, uh, you know, I think a lot of factors here that uh, I think will contribute, I think, to a loss. But it's not going to be, I think, too bad of a loss. It's 2-1 for me. But hopefully, you know, we can get a draw or a win. Uh, I think it's just, you know, finding the back of the net is, again, very, very difficult. And so, uh, you know, hopefully we can change those fortunes, though. But uh, unfortunately for me, it's 2-1 loss. So let us know your score predictions in the comments below. But that pretty much does it for the entire show, except for the question of the day. And the question of the day is, what do you want to see from Marcelino Moreno? Let us know in the comments below. We're looking forward to what you have to say. And that's it for us today. Remember to subscribe to us if you haven't already. Share this episode and leave us a review and rating so we can pop up higher in your rankings. And for Mark, I'm AJ. Thanks so much for listening. Oh, no.